Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by the new Welcome Video Toolkit. Learn strategies to welcome and respond to your first time and repeat church visitors, reach younger generations, expand your church's entry points, and get new people involved. Learn more and watch introductory videos at churchleadership.com shop. And remember to stay up to date with the latest church leadership strategies and information Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos. When do things go back to normal? How do we get people back to church? And how do we do more with less? In this episode, Rebecca Simon-Peter calls us to the next normal as she explores what it means to invite people to church as spiritual community and to do more with less. Welcome to Leading Ideas Talks, a podcast featuring thought leaders and innovative practitioners. I am Jessica Anschutz, one of the editors of the Leading Ideas e-newsletter, and I am your host for this Leading Ideas Talk. Joining me is Rebecca Simon-Peter, the chief visionary of the group coaching program, Creating a Culture of Renewal, and author of Forging a New Path, Moving the Church Forward in a Post-Pandemic World. Welcome, Rebecca. I enjoyed reading your latest book, and I look forward to our conversation today. Thank you, Jessica. Pleasure to be here. In Forging a New Path, you raise three persistent questions asked by people in the church in recent years, and I can tell you that these are the questions that I was hearing as a parish. When do things go back to normal? How do we get back to church, and how do we do more with less? Starting us off this morning, I want to invite you to reflect on rather than going back to normal, how can church leaders embrace what you call the next normal? Mm -hmm. Yeah, such a good question. Um, I think the first thing to remember, Jessica, is normal wasn't so great. I mean, 2019, we were already worried about stuff. We were worried about you know, how churches were going to make it and the finances and where were the young people. So all that stuff. So I get the wanting to go back to normal, you know, who doesn't want to shake hands and, you know, sort of forget that the pandemic happened because it's extremely disruptive and still is. But yeah, I do think we need to embrace the next normal because when we look at the history of the church, there's always the next normal. Look at the history of the world. We never go back. Um, there's always the next normal. And so I think orienting ourselves towards the future instead of some glorified past is really the way for us to go. And what I see is um, that, look, if people, people have already been telling us that church wasn't working for them. They're already telling us that. And I think one of the things that really hurt during the pandemic was when churches were deemed non-essential shutting the doors of the church was really, really hard. I, don't, I get that not everybody did, and I get why the decisions were made, but I think it was really hard in great measure because people had already been telling us in the church, you're already non-essential. They told us that in 2019. They told us that in 2009. They told us that in 1999 and 1980. They're already telling us you're non-essential. So um, 
embracing the next normal, and this ties in with kind of the second question, I think it's really about paying attention to what folks have been telling us. If we're spiritual but not religious, the church is only offering religion, how can the church do spirituality? Hint, it's not that hard. We have so many resources. It's our foundation. And so embracing the next normal, I think, is really about looking towards what does the future hold for us? How do we put into place um, positives? And um, you know, how do we put into place the things people have already been telling us they want instead of trying to scramble back to something we knew wasn't working yet? I think you rightly emphasize our need to to embrace spirituality and to and to feed those people who who are hungry and and longing longing for greater greater connection. Um, yeah. How can church leaders infuse ministry with spiritual formation? I think really looking at the Bible instead of a manual of right living and do's and don'ts, casting a different filter, you know, using a different filter and seeing it as, wow, look at, look at all the ways God interacts with humanity. Um, that's our first resource. And so when we, when we reframe what the Bible has to share with us and what it has to teach us, every single experience in the life of the church can take on spiritual formation when we use the Bible in a new way. So that's the first thing I would say is, is understand the Bible as a record of spiritual experiences. And in that sense, it's not a closed canon. Because I think about I think about how I came to Jesus. I was in the Orthodox Jewish community. Jesus came to me in a vision. And it wasn't anything I could look, you know, chapter seven, verse 20. It wasn't in there. It was something right. completely different. And, uh, you know, it was, I love you and I understand you and I accept you, you know, and me in my particular context. So in that way, the Bible is not a closed canon. Um, it's, it's, it's a hint of things to come. So at every moment that we meet, we could tune into the spiritual experiences that are there in the Bible as a jumping off place, not as prescriptive um, instances of the only way God could speak to you or talk to you or the only way you could respond to God, but as descriptive, as a like idea generator, like, I wonder how God's gonna speak to you today. Our church council meetings, our board meetings, all of that could take on uh, brand new vitality. So I do think introducing the Bible as a record of spiritual experiences um, into the different ways that we meet and we gather is one way that spiritual formation can be brought into the life of the church. Another way that spiritual formation can infuse the life of the church is by taking the, the kinds of studies that we have, let's say small group studies, and bringing a new quality to them. We don't necessarily need to just start from scratch and wipe everything out that we're doing, but this idea of infusing spirituality. So the four questions that go with the covenant group model, um, how is it with your soul? Where have the challenges been? Where have the joys been? What would you like to be held accountable for? Could you imagine starting like church council meetings with that? I mean, wouldn't that be different? Or Bible studies with that? That would be absolutely amazing um, to have those kinds of questions frame our time together because it gets us right into our lives and where is God present in our lives? And I imagine the revival that could come out of that work. What steps would you encourage folks to take so that it can be our future. Mm. 
In the program that I lead, Creating a Culture of Renewal, we always say that renewal begins within. You really can't lead people farther than you're willing to go. So I would say by necessity and by definition, church leaders would begin to work on their own spiritual connection and look at being with Jesus rather than doing for Jesus. So that's the first thing is what are the leaders doing? Can they engage in those those uh, you know accountability groups and have accountability partners and talk about how it is with their soul? And then the next step that I would take is to begin to introduce it in worship. And one of the simplest ways to do it in worship is to understand that uh, or to set the expectation out loud for people every week. Um, God will be speaking to you today. Listen for how Jesus is prompting you. Pay attention to what the spirit might be saying to you, like set the expectation because people, teachers know people rise to the expectations you have for them, right? So set the expectation and expect God to be delighted. Oh, good. Finally, they're talking about me. We're not just talking about, but creating this space for. The second thing I would do after setting that expectation intentionally, joyfully, and regularly is to create quiet spaces in worship. A lot of times during quiet prayer, you get approximately 4.5 seconds <laughs> and then the words start again or the music is there and it's not really quiet. So I would also um, lengthen the time of quiet in worship and let people know we're going to have quiet. It's going to be three minutes. It's going to feel like 10, but it's only going to be three. Like just help people get ready for that. Uh, and then um, at the end of worship, you know, ask people, how did God speak to you? So don't just start off that way, but have a bookend. How did God speak to you? And give people a way to respond to that. Maybe it's, maybe, you know, something that they write down or they text themselves something, or they turn to a neighbor and there's a couple of minutes to share. Here's how God spoke to me. So set up worship so that it becomes a place not only where the leader is speaking to people and people are responding in set ways, but there's space for the spirit to speak, an opportunity to uh, recall it, share it, and kind of cement it in one's being. Yes, this is what happened for me today. Those are the steps I would suggest. I think there are wonderful steps that will lead to a great harvest. When it comes to spiritual formation, Rebecca, you touch on this in, in the book some. Um, the reality that different models appeal to people in different generations. Mm -hmm. And so how might church leaders be mindful of this reality and seek to offer opportunities to folks from, from these different generations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, the ways different generations like to connect and belong, you know, we know that um, 80 year olds aren't necessarily going to need to run around with a group of their friends <laughs> right. to belong. Uh, but I think when it comes to the younger generations, using the tools they already have, like tech, like, you know, the phone, um, and maybe people um, make, um, you know, little TikTok videos that they share with each other that's a, a self-reflection on spirituality or where they saw God in the world today. You know, it could be really fun because, uh, you know, the younger you are, uh, and this isn't across the board, but generally the younger you are, the more you are used to being an online creator. 
posting stuff, making videos, sharing your life online. It's just more comfortable. Um, not for everybody, but for a lot of folks. So I would suggest using the tools uh, of the culture uh, and repurposing them for, for sharing spirituality. And it could be the same four questions that we've talked about. You know, what are the challenges? What are the joys? Um, uh, and what would you like to be held accountable for? And how is it with your soul? I think that'd be really interesting. And maybe even give each generation those questions. What would be the best way to connect? And do these four questions speak to you? Uh, you know, which question do you want to talk about this week? It could be like that. And I, I find that those questions, I've used those questions or similar variations of them in a variety of different contexts with a variety of, of people. Um, and even people who are, are new to the faith or new to church life can respond to those questions mm-hmm. um, and are often eager to respond and, and even more eager to hear what, how other people answer those questions, how people of yeah. faith are answering those questions. Yeah. I think transparency is delightful to people when they feel safe and when they understand that there won't be gossip, there won't be criticism. Juicy, you know, it brings people alive because everybody's got stuff going on. Everybody's got stuff. Everybody's got good stuff. Everybody's got bad stuff. Everybody has stuff they're sort of ashamed of or afraid to say out loud. And then when somebody finally does say it, it's like, you can feel the relief in the room. And I think spirituality is not only being present to God, but being present to ourselves and being present with each other. And I think that's something that the church has missed out on is that worship, a lot of times, you know, this idea of worship, it's this one-way adulation of God. And it's not even necessarily God going to speak to you. And it's certainly not how is God moving through the community traditionally. Okay. So I think the more we can have two-way communication with God and have that expectation, but then understand that God is going to speak to us through each other. That's one of the great gifts of the whole 12-step model is understanding God's going to speak to you through other people and, um, and to not poo-poo that and to really and I'm not saying it doesn't happen in the church, but I don't experience that nearly as much in the church as I do in other settings where spirituality is, is, is forwarded. Well, you lift up the real importance of, of listening and listening, listening deeply to people um, and being able to respond to them where they, where they are. How can we, how can those of us in the church listen better, not only to those who are already in the community, but those who are not yet in the community. Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. It's interesting. I was speaking with a man who was really inspiring for me yesterday. His name is Derek Kubelis, and um, he uses motivational interviewing to ease polarization in the church. And I write about that in in Forging a New Path. And the questions are um, along the line, I can't remember them exactly, but it's something like, um, uh, how did you arrive at this point of view? Um, Tell me how it speaks to you. And there's a third question, but it's sort of like asking people to tell you about themselves, even if you disagree wildly with their point of view. Even if you just are at odds, like, tell me how you came to this. Tell me your story. 
know, tell me what life is like for you and why does this way of looking at things make sense to you? I think those are terrific questions to ask people in general. And um, Derek also said something that I thought was really interesting. He said, instead of coming at people as a teacher, I'm gonna tell you everything. I'm gonna teach you now how you should think about things. Come as a humble listener, as a humble learner. And I think that's really important uh, because if we are going to be attractive to others, whether they're in the church or not in the church, I think people wanna know that you care, that their story can be heard, not just your story, not just your point of view, but their story. I think what a person could ask themselves as they listen is, how can I hear God through this person? I wonder how God's going to speak to me through this person versus I wonder what I need to tell them about God, you know? So I, yeah, it's that whole God flowing through us and not assuming that you've got the whole pile of God, good God stuff, but that other people have it too. Even if they don't even know it, you know, God can speak through them. I absolutely agree with you. And I think we don't, we don't take enough time to listen, which speaks to your second question, right? Of this, this focus of how do we get people back to church? How do we Mm -hmm. not only go back to normal, but then how Mm -hmm. do we get the people that were here before back? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, those three questions have sort of three different answers. So the first one, you know, when do things go back to normal? They don't, there's gotta (laughs) be this new normal. How do you get people to church or back to church? Don't, don't try that because they were like, like I said, They've already been telling us oh, that doesn't, as a whole, that doesn't really work. Our numbers are down generally. So my suggestion is, in addition to really thinking about embracing spirituality in the church, now think about spiritual community. Instead of the institution of church, what does it mean to deepen what we're already doing into community that's really grounded and founded in this deep spirituality, this connection with God, this connection with each other, this understanding that God moves through all of us, works through all of us, speaks through all of us. One of the things I read about in the book, I thought this was a really interesting find, was James Fowler's Stages of Faith Development. Anybody who went to seminary in the last 30 years or, you know, will know something about that, kind of like Eric Erickson's um, life cycle. So this is a, how a person deepens in faith. Um, over time. And it's not necessarily, you know, traditional kinds of faith, but just the idea of ultimate meaning, how they, how they gather that sense of ultimate meaning and how they, it can get undone and redone. And I think what we've been seeing is that in Fowler's work, you know, people have a traditional sense of, of church and traditional or of religious community, traditional sense of um, whatever their traditional sense of how the world works. And at some point, if they keep growing, if they keep thinking, they're going to they're gonna test their own assumptions and realize, wait a second, some of this doesn't hold together. Or I thought the world worked this way, but then I meet these people. They're outside of the way I thought the world worked. And, but those people seem good. Like, and so their, their worldview kind of has to split apart a little bit to embrace a larger set of realities and circumstances that they've encountered. And what we've seen is that people have left church and it's kind of part of a natural progression. They've left the place where here's their worldview. When their worldview is bigger than that, they've left. And what I'm suggesting is what if church itself could expand so it can encompass a larger worldview? And so people don't have to leave church 
in order to take that next step in their faith development. So that's part of building spiritual community where questions are as good as answers. Like the church in a lot of ways likes to have the answers. And I mean, really, who doesn't? Everybody likes to have the answers. But what if we could open up? What if part of spiritual community is it's great to ask your questions, bring your questions. We may not have answers, but we will welcome your questions. And that's a very Jewish way of being. It was very Jesus-like. He always had questions for people. He didn't always have answers, but he had questions. What if the church could be like that? I think that'd be really great. Then there's no question off limits. You don't have to leave if you've got a question nobody knows the answer to. That could just be, yeah, well, that's a great question. You know, what if we looked into that together? Um, so I think that's part of how we build spiritual community is open up to allow new things, you know, multiple ways that God can speak to us, not just answers, but questions and kind of conversation that gets down to the soul level. I think people be interested in coming to that, especially if it was available in bite-sized chunks, you know, um, not like you have to do a year-long Bible study for a three-hour church service. Those do exist, and they can be really fun. Uh, but what if there was a half an hour worship service? You know, what if there was a half an hour, how is it with your soul? What if we had two-hour retreats? You know, ways to build this spiritual community um, in the chunks of time that people have to give. Before we wrap up today, I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about how we can do more with less. Mm -hmm. I'm teaching a class on it uh, this week. And one of the really cool things is, I, so here's what I do. I ask people to make a list of everything they have less of because of the pandemic. It's a long list. And you can imagine the kinds of things on it. Well, we have less connection. We have less people. We have less money. We have less missional engagement. Okay, very good. So I want everybody to just get that out of their system. Then we put that list aside. Then I ask them to make a list of everything they have more of because of the pandemic. Would you believe it, Jessica? That list is longer and richer and more delicious than uh, the other list. You know, as predictable as that list is, this list takes everybody by surprise because they haven't really thought about, oh, we have a lot more. So here's some of the things I came up with recently, yesterday. They came up with, we have more compassion, we have more intentionality, we have more patience, we have more generosity with each other, we have a deeper desire to connect with each other, um, we have a greater sense of what's really important, and it's like, hey, you can do something with all of that. Okay, maybe you have half the people, maybe you have 30% of the people, but if you have more patience, more intentionality, more appreciation of each other, my goodness, you can do more with less. And again, it gets back to what are we really here for? What are we really here for? We're here for spirituality. We're here for connection with God. We're here for building a spiritual community. Well, if you've got more patience, you've got more love for each other. You've got more appreciation of the importance of life. You really can do more with less because you're not focused on trying to do everything. So I think that's the first thing I would say, Jessica, is like, just pay attention to what do you have more of? Because sometimes um, that's where our focus needs to be. That's where the abundance comes out. So it's really a trick question. How do you do more with less? <laughs> well, get it out of your system first. Okay, yes, grieve that stuff. 
but then recognize what you actually have. And from there, all kinds of things are possible. So um, in a way, those three questions, when do things go back to normal? How do we get people back to church? How do we do more with less? They are a little bit of trick questions. They get people's attention because it's what we're asking, but then it's a redirect. Look at what you actually have more of and work with that because we do serve a God of abundance. We do live in a world of abundance, abundant possibilities, abundant connections, abundant love, abundant creativity. There is abundance, even in the midst of all that we're suffering and all that the world has lost. There's tremendous abundance because we have God and God is the ultimate creator. So when we're in the flow of God, when we're in that place of of connecting with God, we can have far more than we think we do. And we've gained more, I believe, than what we've lost because we would never go back to the medieval days and say, oh, those poor people, they lost the monarchy, they lost serfdom, they lost, you know, uh, you know, oh, those poor people. No, we see what came out of it and we rejoice. Oh my goodness, the printing press, books, the Protestant Reformation, the breakdown of a society that was unjust, you know, that had no middle class where people had no say in how their lives went. That's the stuff we focus on. And that's the stuff we're going to look at ultimately when it comes to coming out of this pandemic as all that we've gained, all the creativity, the way we've let go of systems and institutions and ways of doing things that didn't serve us. In some ways, the pandemic has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. I've been in the business of of uh, church renewal for 15 years and then 15 years before that as a pastor and I watched things change overnight. I've been trying to teach people for years. Then came the pandemic and then all of a sudden, oh, we are we aren't just, you know, relegated to the building. Oh, we can do things online. You know, we just we discovered overnight stuff that we've been pushing for for years. So I think in the end we're going to look back at this time and say it was rough. It was tough. But oh my goodness, we've come out in a new way, a better way. We're more connected to God. We're more connected to each other. And we got refocused on what really, really matters. So that's my hope. That's my stand. That's my story, Jessica. I'm sticking to it. And I'm going to be looking for the evidences of that, you know, for a long time to come. I, I appreciate that very much. And I think we have a lot to gain if we look at the pandemic as a catalyst for change. And we look at the blessings that came out of it. That doesn't, I don't say that to minimize the Mm. losses because we had tremendous losses, but I, but I think to, to, to refocus on what we have and the work that God has done and is doing is, is a very faithful and, and hopeful response. So I thank you for, yeah. One last thought on that, the origin of the word pandemic, the origin is of or belonging to all the people. And that's really different than being done to all the people, like being victimized by the pandemic. And I think when we look at the pandemic as belonging to all of us, then we can practice agency, which is a God-given quality. And um, then we have a we, we can respond in powerful and creative ways. And I think that's really, that's what the book is about. That's what we're called to. How do we respond in powerful and creative ways? How do we do that together, right? It points us back to to community, which community. is which is where yes. we started. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I thank you so much, Rebecca, for uh, not only taking the time to to talk with me and share with our listeners today, um, but but for the work that you have done um, through your ministry and through your writing. And I'm I'm grateful for uh, your willingness to engage with me today. 
Thank Thanks, you. Jessica. It was a pleasure. Thanks for a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos.